This show would like to acknowledge that it is recorded, edited, mixed, and released on land that was the traditional land of the Tongva people. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present, as caretakers of this land and as the original native people of this place. This is Radio Nowhere. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show that dares to ask the question, what the f***? I am one of your hosts, as always. My name is Paul, but you can call me the captain. And with me, as always, is my bearded best friend and the smartest man in every room. Oh, it's me. It's me. It's Zach. I'm bearded. I was just befuddled by the bearedness and yes are we this is our special alliteration episode that's that's exactly it i'm a a a b c d god it's been a while how you doing zach i'm doing well how about yourself let's Uh, see you know you know i'm in the middle of a move right now but uh things are good things are good you know what i was thinking about um the other day is what were uh, you thinking about I was, uh, I, so last week, Green Day put out their like 25th anniversary version of Nimrod, which is my favorite album by them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and included in it was like a full recording of a live show from Philadelphia in like 97, 98. And it got me thinking about, you know, what we really don't see a lot of anymore are live albums. And I feel like that's kind of a lost art because it used to be you wanted a live album because like, that was your best example of being able to see what they were like if you didn't have a chance to see them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nowadays with, with YouTube and everything else, it seems like, and especially as, you know, the format of recorded music has really changed um, with the dawn of the digital era and people no longer buying physical copies. Um, right. I feel like, I feel like live albums are becoming a lost art. So true. You don't see a whole lot of live albums anymore. I'm trying to think of the last, like, one that had any real big steam was um all right let me let me just google it right now best selling live albums we value your privacy i'm sure you do do they really though mm-hmm. mm. that's why we want to steal all your stuff and sell it <laughs> that is the way to do it right yeah well you know when you're when you're living through a late stage capitalist apocalypse so apparently with a lot of live albums Mm -hmm. there's some uh uh shenanigans going on what do you mean so for instance you know frampton comes alive sure uh it's certified six times platinum which would mean six million copies sure however they do the certification in terms of each disc and it was a uh two disc set so it's really only three times platinum huh uh, yeah as for instance the next example they give is bruce springsteen's five record box set of live recordings is 13 times platinum but he hasn't sold 13 million he sold 2.5 million copies how does does that math even i guess that math lines up but mm-hmm. huh that's strange so, well that would then mean that every like double or triple album ever yep. put out 
like over counts. Yep. Wow. Yeah, this which is, is uh-huh. That's probably how those essentials of artist albums make so much money. Probably. That's especially relevant in the in the vinyl days where there were a lot more double albums, for instance, because you couldn't fit as much into a single disc. So according to this, mm-hmm. the real best-selling live album of all time mm-hmm. is Eric Clapton's Unplugged. Wow, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's like a my dad record. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, so so that is that is interesting. Um, followed by Garth Brooks Double Live, which is 20 times platinum, which really means it's only sold about 10 million copies. So is that the one with the live version of Thunder Rolls that's like three minutes longer and involves a murder? I have no idea, having never really listened to Garth Brooks. Mm, mm. So did you uh, did you ever listen to his uh alt rock persona, Chris? Oh something. Gosh. I listened to samples because it came on a list of something of like things that you've never heard of, right? And so I did. I did listen to it. It was supposed to be this whole thing. There was going to be like a movie released with it and everything. Wow. Uh, yeah, and they just scrapped it. That's a whole other genre that I feel like we doesn't really get talked about all that often is like when people record secret albums as someone else. Like mm. apparently there's a Mariah Carey rock album that was recorded in the early like 90s and then yes. it was never released yes and apparently and, it's pretty decent yeah well and i saw i saw an article i want to say like a month ago that there someone is now trying to negotiate the rights away from the company so that they can put this thing out and i'm curious to see what it's like because mm-hmm. you know we think of mariah carey for having this incredible like range to her voice and also mm-hmm. for essentially ruining everyone who's ever worked a shift during Christmas. Yeah. But yeah. also, like, imagine what that voice could do with a rock album. That'd be pretty incredible. Mm. I'd be, uh, they should release it. Release the, the Mariah Carey cut. Right? That's right. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> we're, we're here to release the Mariah cuts. Mm. I want to s- go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I want to see the extended version of uh, what was that? failed album she did glitter oh my gosh the movie glitter give us, yes give us glitter mariah's version glitter oh my gosh or or you know what just give it to taylor swift give us taylor swift's version of glitter that'd be interesting right uh, well we we did learn from glitter that mariah carey cannot act i don't think many of us were that that surprised but i don't know she's a pretty convincing mayor of gotham in the lego batman can we give voice acting jobs back to voice actors by the way that's true i I know we're trying to get like people into seats so like oh look this big name that's in it but they're Mm -hmm. almost always terrible and voice Mm -hmm. actors are so good at what they do well i will say though that for some uh voice some people make the transition fully from one to the other and do a pretty good job i i can name uh, off the top of my head, one you might be able to know more. But uh, well, I'm assuming the one you can name is Mark Hamill. That is 100 percent Mark Hamill. Yeah. Well, I would also throw Christian Slater in there as well. 
What did Christian Slater do voice acting wise? Uh, Christian Slater has done a lot of DC stuff. Um, mm. He was he's Deadshot in um, the Suicide Squad animated movies. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like Haley Joel Osment for a while was doing some voiceover work. Actually, he was doing a lot. I tossed that one in too. Yeah, uh, honestly, he's a he's been phenomenal. Um, uh, Tara Strong. For sure, but was she ever really a like I guess movie so. person? I suppose I that's know. true. That's that's kind of like saying that Ashley Eckstein did live action work when her credits live action are like a few episodes of a Disney show. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh but I mean it can obviously be done because Mark Hamill's one of the greatest of all time. He is like the definitive Joker, in my opinion. Yeah. So well, yeah, well, and his work along with uh, with uh, Kevin Conroy is, mm-hmm. you know, R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, to the one true Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's um, you, I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. The uh, one of the things that they used to do for the show was when they would have scenes together, the two of them would get in a room together, which was not how most of the series was recorded. Mm-hmm. but specifically so that they could play off of each other, which I think is really cool. That is. Uh, there are certain shows that do that, and I think you can often tell the chemistry when they do. Yeah. Uh, record together. I think you get a lot a lot more pizzazz, if you will. Yeah, well, whereas you can also tell when it's not happening, which is, you know, every time Mike Myers voices Shrek. <laughs> because who would want to be in that room? Yeah, I still can't believe, like, that guy recorded basically the entirety of Shrek just in his normal Canadian accent. And then went, you know what? Scottish. <laughs> and they had to re-record the entire damn thing. And it cost a millions. Clearly it worked out. But, like, <laughs> I just can't imagine. I, I try to think what sort of position I would have to be in in a job where I could complete something and be like, you know what? I got a whim. Let's do it completely differently. <laughs> Like, that'd be uh, like you getting to the end of the school year and saying no no we're starting over 10th grade all over again guys <laughs> it's it's uh it's certainly an odd choice i mean obviously in this case it paid off but it makes you wonder how many other versions of things there are out there for animation like that's actually the third version of shrek because then there was yeah. also Chris Farley, I think, had something like 80% of Shrek completed for voice acting before he Mm -hmm. passed. Um, And then Mike Myers had to step in, obviously. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a uh, a Chris Farley Shrek? Would it have been a successful? I... Hmm. That's... That's tough. I I think, you know, I'd have to know... the, The timeline to me is a little confusing. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Farley passed away, I want to say 97, 98. Shrek comes out 2000, I think. Um, so would his have been completed sooner? He, Chris Farley died December 18th, 1997. Mm-hmm. So and Shrek right. did come out April 2001, uh, which I, if you record the entire movie twice over again, that timeline actually makes a lot of sense. Well, and I think Mike Myers is you. Un- his take on it has this unique playground sort of not playground, but 
this unique point in media history where it's coming out in 2001 and I think that movie got a lot of replay in the time after 9-11 because it was something that was relatively innocuous that you could put on in front of kids instead of having them watch the constant news cycle, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas I think if Farley's version comes out in like 98, 99, it might have been even more wildly popular if he were still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So it's the, that is that is interesting. It probably would have come out, say, it was the end of twenty of ninety seven. So probably it would have been a ninety nine movie, right? And you uh, look at you look at some of the movies from ninety nine. Chris Farley's brand of comedy is sort of on its last legs, but it's still pretty viable. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look. Top movies, nineteen ninety nine. Go for it. Yeah. Okay, top grossing movies of 1999. You should know number one. Titanic. No, no, no. no. The Matrix. No. 99. Oh, Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. You got yeah. it. Yeah. Phantom Menace was number one. A movie so, that's gotten a lot better as time has gone on. I agree. I did, I liked it at the time. It was yeah, the I next did two too. that I didn't care for. But What are you talking about? Attack of the Clones is great. Oh, it's so I will I will die on this hill. Attack of the Clones is the best uh, of the prequels. I disagree, but it's also the worst, but it has yes. the highest highs. I was gonna say it's two completely different movies in one. Like it's got this just god awful forced romance that for half of it. And then it's Which... got pretty cool action for the other half. All right, but here's here's the thing, right? The action movie is its own movie because Obi-Wan for two thirds of the movie is like off on his own, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a cool detective sort of noir in space, like thriller. I think what we actually get in the romantic story, which is the other one, you know, is um, not so much a romance as it is a tragedy. And it's a very subtle tragedy in that stupid people can also fall in love and <laughs> that can cause pride. It's like an anti-romance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. it's not so much Romeo and Juliet as it is um, Othello. It's, it's still bad. Like it's still poorly <laughs> executed. And I think the saving grace for all of these movies, honestly, mm-hmm. is the Clone Wars. Yes. The Clone Wars retroactively saved that trilogy, which my gosh, I, you know, I'd love to see something like that come back for the sequel trilogy as well. But yeah, well, I mean, I think we're starting to get that. I think, you know, the Mandoverse is doing a lot of yeoman's work trying to, you know, prop up all the different ways that Palpatine could have mysteriously returned. And I think, <laughs> you know, we're 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 early still in the process. There are more movies in the pipeline, supposedly um so it'll be interesting to see how this ages now it's probably going to take a while it took at least 20 years for the prequels to really become something that people were interested in again yeah i'd say a little less than that i think if you look at phantom menace in 99 that'd make it 2019 i think i think it hit a little before that but yeah but i agree i agree um yeah, it'll depend on the people who are trying to execute it as well. That's right. So we got Phantom Menace at number one. All right. Six Sense at number two. Okay. Toy Story two. Then we have Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Oh, uh, 
okay. interesting, right? Right. Sure. So there's our first like true comedy. Yeah. You know, um, so Mike Myers style comedy. Sure. Then we get the Matrix, mm-hmm. Tarzan. Mm-hmm. This falls right in your Chris Farley thing. Number seven on the year was Big Daddy. Yeah. So yeah. Adam Sandler style. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Which is similar. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. We saw how poorly that sort of aged. Adam Sandler, like once he hits a certain age, the man child thing just doesn't work anymore. Right. Right. The same for Rob Schneider, the same for Kevin James, the same for, I mean, I mean, looking at comedians today, I think that's sort of one of the things that uh, we see with a lot of the SNL alumni that leave the show and try to start movie careers is that so often they're playing broad and that's not really how comedy is anymore. Mm. Well, and people I think don't want to see a juvenile stereotypical, like adult man, you know, someone who's kind of incompetent, but is the fun loving, you know, underdog sort of guy where women to him essentially are just like sex objects. Yeah. Yeah, or mothers, or something to propel their own stories. Yeah. Right, which is, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a really good point. That's, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've really seen comedy sort of shift away from that. I, I think the last gasp of it is probably like knocked up, or this is the end, or, you know, any kind of those Rogan Franco sure. comedies. Sure. It's one of, the, it's certainly one of the things I find most off putting about, um, Danny McBride Mm. is that it's sort of taken that to the extreme. Well, and even with you mentioned like Rogan Franco, Mm -hmm. there's a twist to that in that those are, they're they're like that. They're the same sort of male character, but Mm. you add on the layer of stoner comedy. Right. And it shifts it maybe just enough to have kept them relevant a few years later. Yeah. Well, I, you also really don't see a lot of physical comedy either anymore. It's true. You know what I mean? So that that sort of uh I don't even have an example that's modern. The the last real physical comedian I can think of is maybe like <sighs> I mean I fucking hate Chevy Chase, but <laughs> I'd say more recent than that, Jim Carrey was definitely a physical. Yeah, okay. Well, and obviously Farley. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are both good examples. Yeah. Uh Carrie and Farley. But then again, you know, Carrie had to change his entire thing to stay relevant, yeah. where he went into more dramatic roles to varying degrees of success. Um, I would say more successful than not most of the yeah, time. I mean, like it's an older movie, but the Truman Show is an amazing movie. Oh yeah. So it's is incredible. Uh, so is um I mean, obviously, uh, what's the one he did with Kate Winslet? The one where they erase memories? Oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Yeah, he's that great. That phenomenal. Yeah, he's yeah. fantastic in that. He's yeah. great in a very underseen movie called The Majestic um, that I love, uh, where he plays a man accused of being a communist in the mm-hmm. 1950s in Hollywood who gets amnesia and winds up on a beach in a small town in Northern California with no idea who he is. And he's mistaken for a war hero by the townsfolk. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible movie and he's phenomenal in it. 
Yeah, and then you have to contrast it. Movies like The Number 23 and Dark Crimes. (laughs) I saw The Number 23 in theaters, and it Mm -hmm. was about two-thirds of a good, not great movie. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to what we were talking about. Yeah, so I actually, speaking of another list, live Uh, albums. Yeah. But I'm going to switch it over a little bit because we're having trouble finding live album numbers, but we'll come back to it. Sure. Uh, There are only six albums that have sold 20 million or more copies in the United States. Oh, no. Okay. Can you name the six? I don't know if I can name one. And I know you hate number one. (sighs) Actually, you probably hate number two as well. Number number one is got to be an Eagles record, probably. It is. It is. I'm, it's either going to be Hell Freezes Over or Hotel California. Hotel California is number three. Great song, but I f- hate the Eagles, man. I know you hate the Eagles. Okay. So this is why it's going to really piss you off. The number one selling album of all time in the United States is... Eagles, their greatest hits. 1971 to 1970. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. Greatest hits albums should never count in album total sales. It does, and it's the only one on the in the top six here. That's terrible. 38 million copies. Yeah, I know my parents own one. Uh, all right what's number two Uh, Uh, yeah what's number two give me me some hints here i think you should know this one it's (laughs) it spawned i think five hit singles from it during the time of music videos which helped propel it uh guns and roses nope no uh think more pop madonna no right era pop in that era yeah one might even say that this album being at the top would be like the king of pop albums michael jackson's thriller yep 34 million copies yeah i mean that's really quincy jones production that i would give that win to was quincy jones the producer on that he sure was yeah Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can, you can, you can save a lot of albums with producing. Sure can. All right. You already got number three, Hotel California. Uh-huh. There are only three more others, three more albums that have reached 20 million sales in the U.S. Three different groups. None of them we've talked about so far. Creedence Clearwater Revival. New. Damn incredible run of albums in the in the 60s for about two years great band great band phenomenal fantastic Mm -hmm. okay uh beach boys no at this point i'm just guessing artists madonna no elvis you want me to give you the years on them sure so 1980 1971 1977 is one of them the staying alive no. Are they that, all are Saturday, they all Saturday ahead. Night Fever soundtrack is in the is in the top 20. It is uh sold 16 million copies. You know, I I'm going to make an admission here. I mm. like the Bee Gees. I yep, yeah, okay. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, it's not Guns N' Roses. They are actually number seven. They just missed Appetite for Destruction, 18 million copies. But wow. it is very bon uh, in the same sort of category. Nope, not Bon Jovi. Metallica. Not Metallica. Um, They're Australian. Does that help? The Bee Gees? No. Who's... Uh... ACDC? ACDC, Back in Black, 25 million copies. Okay. Legitimately, I think, one of the rockingest albums of all time. Oh, yeah. You know, sort of in the same vein as like... ACDC sort of does the same trick that I think Johnny Cash does, which is if you really strip everything down, everything is the same song. (laughs) But it's just incredibly consistent. They are the king of hooks. Yes. They know how to make great hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I don't know. Why don't you give me the last two? I will give you the last two. Uh, Led Zeppelin 4. Okay. And Fleetwood Mac Rumors. I'm amazed that one's not higher. That's a great album. I mean, number six. That's, number that's six pretty is pretty high. great. Yeah. And number five, if you remove the Greatest Hits album that's on there. Well, there you well, go. 20 million is- copies. I will, and we're we're running out of time here, so I think I will just, you know, my last thought on that is, it is unconscionable, America, that we have allowed the Eagles to have two spots in the top five. Oh, I was going to say. Unforgivable. You were going to, the top spot, and it's like, okay, well, we need to buy five more, five million more copies of Thriller, not that's conscionable now either, so jump uh, down to ACDC, let's set them. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that there aren't some more modern acts, but then again, I guess, you know, boomers were buying on multiple formats. So no one buys music anymore. Yeah. That's the highest selling one from the two thousands is from 2000. And it is Eminem, the Marshall Mathers. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's well, I hate the misogyny and I hate the violence against women, but Mm -hmm. Eminem's at least, you know, well, I don't know that talented? he's super defensible. I guess he's, yeah, he's talented. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. I'm going to cut that part. I anyway. Say, I would say the only modern album on here mm-hmm. is 2011. Okay. It's Adele 21. And it's pretty far down the list. I mean, that album does, I, I don't care who you are, that album touches you emotionally. As opposed to the number two album, Michael Jackson's Thriller, which touches which... you physically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's uh, that's going to wrap up this week's discussion. Any last thoughts, Zach? Four, three, five, three, six, three, seven, three, eight, three, nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six. So that'd make Adele forty-six if I count correctly. No, wow. last thoughts is people don't buy music anymore. No one makes a live album, and uh, Eagles should not have two spots on that list. Come on, America! I don't care if it's Taylor Swift. We need to put something else up there. <laughs> Everyone, go buy physical copies of Taylor Swift right now. Let's let's start a let's start a pledge drive to to end the reign of terror of the Eagles. Because if anyone needs more money, it's Taylor Swift. Uh, Well, you know. Radio Nowhere is a Did You Hear This production. Co-produced by Feels Like Friday 
and Anchor Podcasts. Your hosts were Zach Armstrong and Paul Wonderberg. Produced by Paul Wonderberg. From all of us here at Did You Hear This, have a better tomorrow.